Good morning. Okay, let's just jump right in. Um, Our teaching text this morning is in Genesis 16. Okay, Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So um, as we begin today, our first Advent series as Neighbors Church, it's pretty exciting. This might not be the typical passage that you've uh, heard for an Advent we're going to be reading about or exploring Hagar. Um, And in January throughout 2020, Dan has let us know that we're going to be going through the book of John in a series called Come and See, and it's going to be great. But for the month of December, um, as we enter into the season of Advent, we're going to fix our hearts on the God who comes to us, on the God who comes to us. So the name of our Advent series is He Comes. I love the lyrics in the new worship song by Hillsong called King of Kings. Maybe you've heard it. In the darkness we were waiting, without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word, from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Jesus incarnate, laying as a baby in the manger, is the ultimate picture showing that God comes to us. He left his throne in heaven, he put on flesh, and he literally met us in our humanity. Truly, from the beginning of time, God's been coming to us. He faithfully comes to us in every state of our humanness, meeting us where we're at, to restore relationship with him. This morning, we're going to look at the life of Hagar, a Bible character not typically in the limelight, and we'll see how God clearly comes to us in our brokenness. He comes to us when we're broken. So Hagar. Hagar was a slave girl. She was one of the items that Pharaoh gave Abram in exchange for his wife. You can read about that in Genesis 12, uh, 16 and 20. So she was given to Abram and Sarah. Um, And when Hagar runs into the wilderness after being abused by Sarah, as we read in Genesis 16, she's really broken. She is, um, she's been marginalized, she's been impregnated, and now she's been disregarded. So she's very broken. 
From this morning's text, um, I want to zoom in on four aspects of Hagar's story. God coming, God calling out for confession, God comforting, and God restoring hope. So first, let's consider the God who, who comes and how he came to Hagar. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. There are seven words in this passage that make Hagar's story incredibly profound. The angel of the Lord found her. Seven words. The angel of the Lord, um, the Hebrew name Malach Yahweh, which I'm not as good at pronouncing those as Dan is yet, so I need some practice. Uh, The angel of the Lord is a mysterious character who shows up in the Old Testament in a number of places. He appears visibly, but he's also referenced to as God. Um, Even though we can't be certain, most scholars agree that the angel of the Lord character is the pre-incarnate Jesus, the God-man. Guys, this is so huge. This is the first place in the Bible that the angel of the Lord, the God-man, came in some sort of visible or spiritual presence to minister to someone. And he chose to come to a marginalized, abused slave girl. Just let that sink in. It's not just that the God-man came that makes this passage and story profound. It's who he came to. This is our God. He comes to the broken. And I love that the word used to describe how God came to Hagar in the story is he found her. He literally manifested his presence to come find her. Only what's lost needs to be found, and in so many ways, Hagar was lost. She'd been thrown away, cast aside, rejected, and God came to her to find her. This is the heart of God for his children that are lost. The passage says that Hagar was at the spring that is beside the road to Shur. When God found Hagar, she was on a road to a desolate place. She was running away from her abuser. Um, She was most likely running home to Egypt. Can we agree that the trials and the hardships in our life often leave us feeling lost, right? Sometimes we've even referred to these seasons as our wilderness seasons. Experiencing a season of intense struggle or trauma can often uh, create the urge for us to run away and escape. We want to get away from from what's hurting us. We want to get away from the source of our pain. We want to put space between what it is that's hurting us and where we're at. We want to go back to where we last felt safe. In our running, in our brokenness, Jesus comes to us and he finds us. And we need to recognize him when he comes. He comes to us. So the second action of God we're looking at in Hagar's story this morning is God calling out or inviting confession. I find it incredibly validating that God mentions Sarai's name as he addresses Hagar. He says, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And by using Sarai's name here, God is letting Hagar know that he is aware of her pain and who caused it. God does not ask Hagar Hagar where she came from or where she's going because he doesn't know the answer. He's God, right? He knows. He's inviting Hagar to tell him all that's in her heart, where she's been, who's hurt her, what happened to her, why she's running. God is inviting confession. Gary Brashear says, confession is simply putting words to what is in our hearts. He goes on, all sin defiles us from God. 
So sin done to us, or um, excuse me, so sin done by us, to us, and in front of us requires confession. Let me just repeat that. All sin defiles us from God. So sin done by us, to us, and in front of us requires confession. And this can be an entirely new or broadened way of looking at confession for many of us. I know for me it was, and when I first heard Gary teach this, it was mind-blowing for me. I think it's common knowledge that we know sin done by us separates us from God, right? And that that sin done by us requires confession for us to feel right and to have relationship with God again. But I'd never thought about the fact that sin done to us or in front of us can be defiling as well. Sin done to us or in front of us can have the same shameful effects on our lives that sin done by us has. And that just blows my mind. So in this case, Hagar, she had done everything well, right? She cooperated with the terrible plan, conceived Abram's baby, and then was abused for doing what she had been asked to do. Her brokenness and shame were a result of sin that had been done to her. We don't just feel the need to hide when we commit sin. We can feel the same desire to hide when sin's been committed against us or in front of us. Sin committed against us or in front of us leads to us feeling dirty, right? And confession is where we find that cleansing. This model for biblical confession means that you can be completely innocent and still need to enter into confession. Just think about that. Biblical confession is so much more than the idea of us sitting in a confessional with a priest or lying on our bed at the end of the night and telling God everything that we've done so we can have the sense of feeling right again. God wants us to put words to what is in our hearts. He cares about what's in our hearts. He invites us to confession because confession is the way out of our brokenness. Confession is the road that leads to our restoration. God invited confession with Hagar because he wanted to restore her. And the enemy, he wants God's children to stay in hiding in isolation, right? He wants to distort the way that we see God so that we'll fear being known by God. And if we fear being known by God, we won't come close to him. And then we won't experience ourselves as loved by him. So since Satan can't destroy God's love for us, he can't undo what Jesus did on the cross. Um, he can't alter the way that God sees us and longs for us and wants to work in our lives. But he can distort the way that we see God. And the way that we see God impacts our ability to receive his love. So Hagar was horribly abused and mistreated, taken as a slave, forced to sleep with Abram, impregnated, and then punished and abused for doing what they had asked her to do. When God came to her, when he found her, she was broken in shame. And I think about the way that shame just affects our physical posture. Um, a little story for you. On our daughter's third birthday, one of her friends gave her a little set of, they were called Mr. Sketch scented markers. I don't know if any of you remember these, if you're too old to remember these, but they were big, thick highlighters that smelled like pens that were like highlighters, but they smelled like fruit. And up until this point in her little life, crayons had been the only thing we had given her to uh, use for art. And after one drawing session with these markers, I decided crayons would be the only thing she was ever going to use in her life again because her hands looked like a rainbow, her face looked like a rainbow, and the top of our table was um, decorated. 
So much to her dismay, I put the markers back up on the high shelf, and uh, months went by. She never asked to use them again, so I thought all was well and, and bed forgotten. Until one day when it seemed really quiet in our house, and I found Allie laying underneath the coffee table, drawing on the bottom side of it with the fruity-smelling markers I had put up. So it was clear this was not her first session with these markers because there was like hardly any blank canvas on that table. And I was, um, I was upset, also a little in awe that she had managed to uh, find the markers, get the markers, and use the markers numerous times without getting them on her hands. But anyway, I knelt down and began to tell her that I was disappointed in her actions, and she picked up the markers, and I can still see it today like it was just yesterday. She ran down the hall with her head hung low, sobbing. Shame changes our physical posture. It causes us to look down, to look away, and to run. I remember running to Allie and picking her up and telling her to look in my eyes, pulling her face towards mine so she, know, so she would know I loved her and I wasn't going to be angry. The posture of shame can keep us from receiving God's truth for us. When we're in a posture of shame, it's almost impossible for us to receive God's truth. Whether sin we have committed has left us in this state of brokenness, or whether sin has been committed against us or in front of us and left us broken, this posture of shame always points us downward. But God wants us to look up. He wants us to set our eyes on him, to, to lock eyes with him like I did with Allie, so that we can have our posture of shame corrected. Confession is the tool that God has given us to correct the posture of shame. Confession lifts our heads. Psalm 3.3 says, you are the one who lifts my head high. He's the lifter of our heads. When God asked Hagar to tell him where she had been and where she was going, he was inviting her to put words to all that was in her heart. Through confession, he was changing the posture of her soul so that she could receive what he was about to give her, comfort and hope. So this third action that we see God, that we see the angel of the Lord taking in his encounter with Hagar is that he comforts Hagar by letting her know that she is both fully seen and fully loved. Both fully seen and fully loved. Hagar, she's the first person in the Bible who ascribes a name to God. So this text is the first place in the Bible that God allows one of his children to ascribe a name to him. Isn't that beautiful? And out of all the names that Hagar could have chosen to ascribe to God, she calls him the God who sees. So she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. The God who sees in Hebrew, El-Rohi, that's what she named him. Completely seen, completely known before God, Hagar named God the God who sees. And I think Hagar naming God the God who sees is one of the most beautiful parts of this story. Um, God's used this part of Hagar's story to do a work of deep healing in my life. And I want to explain a little bit. As someone who's felt acquainted with shame, being fully seen by God or anyone for that matter used to elicit great fear in me, not comfort. Um, there was actually a five-year period of time in my life that I didn't tell a single soul about something horrible that had happened to me. 
including my husband. And I remember deciding on the day that it happened that I was going to go to the grave with the secret. Um, I didn't want anybody to know what I had experienced. So I get it. To be fully seen can feel scary. Being fully seen can result or could result in rejection. Um, Being fully seen could result in being disregarded. Being fully seen might mean that love is withdrawn, right? Or that's how we feel. But Hagar, she's comforted by the fact that God sees her. This is what blew my mind in the story. She's comforted by the fact that God sees her. How? Like, why? Biblical confession corrected Hagar's posture of brokenness. When Hagar realized she was both fully seen, fully seen by God, and fully loved, she was able to receive God's comfort in this truth. If she hadn't received comfort from knowing that she was fully seen by God, I think she would have named God something else. If the idea of being fully seen by God elicits fear in you this morning rather than comfort, I just want to encourage you, friends, that God has a deeper work of healing he wants to do in your life. Through confession, putting words to what we feel, where we've been, what we've done, what's been done to us, and what's been done in front of us. God wants us to receive that he fully sees us, and in him fully seeing us, he still loves us. And it's quite possible to be a Christian, to be a Christian for a long time even, to love God and to believe that God loves you without having truly experienced the deep healing that comes from receiving his love. And I know that because I've experienced that. It's one thing when it's here, and it's one thing when it's here, and it needs to come together. What do you say, Dan? Our theology needs to get into our biology, right? It's that connection. This is, it's a process because receiving God's love is a process we're in for a lifetime. It's a pro, the process of receiving God's love is something we need to press into each day. It's something we need to sit in each day to come before God, to correct our posture by, through confession, and to ask him to receive his love, to meditate on the fact that fully seen, we're fully loved. So God came to Hagar in her brokenness, and he found her. God invited Hagar to confession to correct her posture of brokenness. God comforted Hagar, showing her that she was fully seen and fully loved. And this last action that we're going to look at, God restored Hagar's hope. He restored her hope. He revealed that he had promise and blessing in store for her to receive. He urged her to return home to Sarai. This is because God was going to birth blessing from her battle. When I first read that, I thought, oh, he's asking her to return to the hard place. But he's asking her to return home to the hard place so that she can receive the blessing. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. And you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. The angel of the Lord who was asking Hagar to return to a difficult situation, an extremely difficult situation, in order that she might receive blessing, was the same God that for the joy set before him would endure the cross. Just think about that. 
He was acquainted with what he was asking her to do. Many times, God wants to birth blessing from our places of battle and burden in our life. And this morning, the same God who came to Hagar in her brokenness, he's here coming to you, to me, to us. We don't want to miss him. He invites us to confession, wanting to lift our heads. He doesn't want us to run, to look away, to hang our heads down. He wants us to look up. He longs to comfort us, wanting us to know that we're fully loved by the God who sees. And he wants to restore our hope, bringing blessing from the places of our battle. Advent, it's the season that we remember that the ultimate expression of God with us is in Jesus. Emmanuel, God is with us. In this season, we celebrate the truth that God has come and he is here with us now. Today, on this first week of Advent, we celebrate hope. When Jesus comes, he brings hope. Encountering Jesus always leads to hope. Hope ignites when we choose to set our hearts on how he comes to us, how he restores us in our brokenness. Encountering Jesus always brings hope. So as we prepare to come to communion this morning, Let's fix our eyes on the hope that we have in Jesus. He is the one who comes to you, to me, to the broken. He's the one who lifts our heads. He's the one who comforts us. And he's the one who restores our hope. Amen? I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you so much that you are the God that comes. You are the God who comes to us. You come to us when we're broken. You don't wait for us to get cleaned up or to come to you. You come to us even when we don't realize we need you. You're the God who comes, and we thank you this morning that you've come to each of us, that you've come wanting to lift our heads, to correct our postures of shame or brokenness, God, that you've come to restore us so that we could dwell with you and have communion with you, to have peace and hope and joy in our lives healing. Thank you, God, that there's not um, anything that you haven't seen about us. And thank you that in seeing us, you fully love us. We call you this morning the God who sees, and we thank you, God, that we can find comfort in the God who sees. We just praise your name this morning. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the one who's come to us in this season. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Bree.